Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. And welcome to another episode of the Tennis Channel Live podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we got a great show planned for you this week. A lot to catch you up in the tennis world. Today's guests we're delighted to have. Had a 15-year pro tennis career, was the 1996 Australian Open semifinalist, made three French Open quarterfinals and reached a career high of number six, seven singles titles, ten doubles titles, and was inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame in 2013. Thanks for joining the TC Live podcast, Chanda Rubin. Happy to be joining you. This is a this is a fun week because we got a lot going on all over the globe, a lot of different surfaces, a lot of big events, and the, the stars are out, the big names are there, and people coincidentally are making names for themselves as well. But we have to start, Chanda, with the story that broke a couple of days ago. Maria Sharapova is retiring from the sport. She turned pro, hard to believe, in 2001 on her 14th birthday. It's been uh, a great career, five major championships, got the career slam winning on all four surfaces, all four tournaments, I should say. But, Chanda, the injuries, it added up the last couple of years. And uh, I, I don't think this decision, we'll start there, I don't think this decision really surprised anyone, given how it was trending. The body was just starting to fail her. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt it was a matter of time. I, for me, I didn't necessarily think it would come so early uh, in the season, so early in the year. I thought, you know, we'd see more of her this year. Um, but unlike you know, some players, she just elected not to do the whole farewell tour. She just said, you know what, I'm done. I can't continue um, calling it quits and, and didn't really linger uh, in that sense. And I think that's just typical Maria Sharpova. It's kind of what we've seen throughout her entire career. I mean, she's gone at it full bore when she couldn't, uh, when she knew she wasn't ready or she wasn't, you know, close enough to 100%. You know, we didn't see her uh, at, at times. So I think, you know, for her, it was the way she needed to do it to go out on her own terms. But what a career she's had. It's been incredible with how she kind of surprised a lot of people, turning her game around enough to win on clay, which I don't think early in her career would have necessarily thought that Sharapova would have been um, you know, so fantastic on that surface, winning two of her majors at Roland Garros. But just a testament to her work ethic, to her intensity. You know, she never really took a point off. And, you know, that's one of the things I'll remember most about her. Certainly, certainly. Uh, and on Tennis Channel Live, you, along with uh, Paul Anacone and Brett Haber, actually recapped it nicely. This was the, the segment in our show I'm going to toss to now that we kind of broke the news and, and figured out where she uh, is going to go from here. But a great, a great discussion on Maria Sharapova's retirement here now on TC Live. She was powerful. She was relentless. She was loud. She was adored by millions. She was reviled by some, but she was one of the fiercest competitors this sport has ever known, and she was an undeniable superstar. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Tennis Channel Live on this Wednesday evening with Chanda Rubin and Paul Anacone. I'm Brett Haber. We'll have highlights from all four of our venues coming up in a few minutes, but this day has been all about the big announcement that came out this morning that Maria Sharapova, five-time Grand Slam champion, former 
world number one is retiring with immediate effect at the age of 32. Your reaction to the news? Yeah, it, not really surprising, but I think the timing maybe expected her to at least play through the year and, and you know, have a little more advanced notice. It just kind of seemed to come all of a sudden, but an, a fantastic, incredible career that Sharapova has had, the competitor that she was, she impacted so many, and, you know, she's really put her thumbprint on the sport. It's interesting. You look at uh, great players and great athletes when they stop all the tours and they kind of drift off. And for me, to, for, for me to see Maria do this this quickly shocked me a little bit. I thought she would probably be thinking about it. But when you look at her career, the three things that make up an athlete, the head, the heart, the talent, and the measurement and all three of those, she was off the charts. So she, she maxed out. She did a great job. And it's going to be tough to see her go, but have a great next chapter. She's kind of been the model for so many players that we see even, you know, today coming out. We just saw uh, Sofia Kennan win the Australian Open. Maria Sharapova was an idol for her, a similar story. But, you know, Sharapova just you know, took no quarter, gave no quarter, and she played every point like it was going to be her last potentially. And so, you know, it's great to see her kind of go out, you know, somewhat on her own terms, making the decision, not letting it linger for, for too much longer. But uh, she's going to certainly have a fantastic next chapter. The five Grand Slam titles are obviously the tentpole achievements of her career. Got the career Grand Slam as well. Paul, what will be the, the resounding memories of her career for you? Well, well, for me, it's the fact that the last two majors she won was Roland Garros. And, and the clay was always her hindrance, right? I mean, she even said... What did she say? I, I move like a cow, cow on ice. ice. One and, of the most and, famous quotes ever. And that, to me, shows you the kind of competitor she is and was. You know, she was just like, this is my toughest surface. I'm going to figure this out. I am going to do this. And she wins that title twice. I mean, it's just incredible testimony to who she is, how she does things, and her resilience. Five major titles. The first four were one of each flavor, making her the sixth woman in the Open era to complete the career Grand Slam. Then, as Paul mentioned, she won won the French for the second time in 2014. 36 singles title, the number one ranking for 21 weeks, won silver at the London Olympics, Fed Cup title in 08. Is it fair to say that while not every player necessarily liked Maria, almost everybody respected her? Absolutely. I think you can easily say that across the board. And, and you had to. I mean, she... What she brought to the sport, you know, very few players could bring, and certainly over the time period that she brought it, the extensive results, the titles, the Grand Slams, a career Grand Slam, as we saw Martina a tweet there. I remember seeing Sharapova, really spending time with her for the first time when she was 15 mm -hmm. um, at an event in Hong Kong, and you just saw it then, how she carried herself, the confidence. This was alongside Roger Federer, where, you know, the, she was doing clinics and, you know, hadn't yet broken through, but you could see the goal that she had set for herself, the way she spoke, how she did interviews. She believed that she was going to reach the, the height of the sport and that she was going to be a factor and a force for years to come. And it's just amazing to see how she brought all that to fruition. The word professional seems to be the one that was most often associated along with fierce competitor. But we can't discuss Maria's career and the legacy that she leaves behind without touching on the doping suspension. Just three weeks after the drug meldonium was made illegal by WADA, she tested positive for it. Her suspension was reduced from four Four years to 15 months. The tribunal from the ITF said that she was not an intentional doper. Paul, for you, uh, how does that incident impact the legacy and the way she should be thought of? Uh, to me personally, it doesn't impact the legacy hardly at all. I mean, I think you summed it up by saying it was three or four weeks into the suspension. Um, I mean, three or four in, uh, weeks into the change that it became exactly. illegal. Yeah. And, uh, 
Two things. One is it, the way it was done, uh, the fact that it, she got up in front of the microphone and she owned all of it. She, she said, I take full responsibility for all this, told us why she used it, and told us that uh, when we learned actually all the facts that for all those times that she had used it before, it wasn't anything that was illegal. Mm -hmm. So everyone could have and may have been using it. So. It has no impact on all those titles she won, as far as I'm concerned. So um, I like to focus on the good stuff, but that's going to be a topic of conversation for people. It's going to be a lot of debate, but I think that there's a lot of things to talk about uh, besides that. No, absolutely. I think it was tough for her, a player who was as competitive, who was as professional as she was, you know, for that situation to, to come into play. And literally, you know, as Paul said, you know, you're talking about, you know, five, six weeks, a couple of months, barely into the season where it was made illegal. Had she just known, had Read her team, email. yeah, had her <laughs> team known, you know, this wouldn't have even been a talking point at all. Unfortunately, she did take a substance that was eventually banned because athletes were using it mm -hmm. for performance enhancing. And that's kind of the tarnish. And she wasn't able to kind of come back and get close to that level again once she did return to the sport. But you cannot discount everything she accomplished, how she did it, how she battled, how professional she was over the course of her career. And you've got to respect all that. And titles were what she won on her racket. All right. It was uh, remarkable, to say the least, her career. And you mentioned the, the clay court success before we tossed that clip, Chanda. Two French Open titles. So she ended up having her most successful uh, results in majors on the clay. Hard to believe, too. She won Wimbledon as a 17-year-old, got to number one in the world in 2004. And I just don't know when we might see that again. I mean, Coco Golf's success, and, and it's remarkable to say the least, 15 will be 16 this year. Sharapova was almost like a pioneer in the modern era for young success. She beat Serena as a teenager. Yeah, it was such a shock. I mean, I still remember, you know, sort of seeing that match, how it happened, you know, I mean, just pretty comprehensive as well. I mean, it was a, it was a competitive, good competitive match, but she just never faltered, Sharapova. And considering that this was the first time she was in that type of moment, a big moment, trying to win a major title against, you know, an, an all-time great and Serena Williams, who is would become an all-time great, certainly. Um, you know, it's remarkable to think about the poise that she had, the confidence that she had, and. You know, I certainly remember seeing her early in her career before winning uh, Wimbledon. And you could tell she kind of had, you know, that that confidence. She knew exactly what she wanted to try to accomplish. And when she got her first big moment, she took it. It's still pretty remarkable to think about how, you know, she won that match and how, you know, she dominated in the end. Absolutely. Uh, and I do think, you know, anytime a player retires, there, there may be, questions that we got to dive into there's always going to be that lingering cloud of the drug suspension and I was thinking a lot about this before we, we came on I do think that it would be unfair to just try to just throw her entire career under under the bus in that regard Chanda but I do think it's fair to have some questions like most people we live in a world of gray where we're not sure exactly what happened and and there is going to be this cloud over what the last couple of years looked like and, and the suspension is I think is a fair comparison but looking at her career, you know, it, it spanned so long. It, it involved a lot of setbacks. It involved a lot of injuries and a lot of overcoming of, of a lot of obstacles. So I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm. I'm looking down on her entire career. She accomplished so much. There is a fair. There is a fair, obviously, a reaction to the drug suspension. But I. Don't, I think it would be unfair to Maria to just say that her entire career was based off of that. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think it, it's unfortunate and it certainly is the one negative 
in a career full of of amazing feats and accomplishments and titles and and you know rankings and all of that it's the one negative and unfortunately i mean it's there and you have to at least address it or mention it um and not look past it i certainly think that what she accomplished that speaks for itself and that you know should overshadow anything else um, because what we're talking about with the drug suspension was literally a couple of months and had anyone on her team or had she known or, or just had any kind of inkling you know six weeks is different we would not be having this conversation mm-hmm. at all and you know so that's the unfortunate part of it um, you know from a player perspective you you kind of see you know some of the players that have had negative reactions to it because you know partly because of just her demeanor she wasn't looking to make friends out there on tour during the course of her career and you got to respect her for that she went about her craft the way she did um you know so that has kind of left a little negative taste for some players and then on top of it you get this drug suspension which for a player it's just you are you know so anti you know cheating yeah. Uh, for lack of a better word, it just gives you a reason, you know, to, to look at her uh, sideways in addition to all the other things some players may feel about her. And, and it is unfortunate, um, you know, that the drug suspension, she was found to have taken a drug for years throughout most of her career that many athletes use to enhance performance. That's the fact of it. And, and it's just unfortunate that that is a bit of a cloud over her career but certainly you've got to take how she approached her tennis you know how she fought how she battled that was all from her that was all from inside that was from you know how you know she looked at her game and you've got to respect it she's been the model for so many young players you know coming out since who felt like, you know, they could achieve, they could make their dreams come true, you know, they could come to a country with nothing and build and become a star. And I think, you know, what she what she accomplished, her thumbprint on the game is undeniable. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. You are responsible for what you take. It's it seen by all accounts an oversight. We might never know the, the specifics of it, but 36 titles, won 79% of her matches, winning record against the top 10 and top 20. Uh, that's how I'm going to remember her. Chanda, I think the one other knock on her is, yeah, she couldn't beat Serena Williams, but but really, who could? I mean, other than Serena and Venus, this was the player in her era. Absolutely, and she was the player who just approached the game a certain way. I, I can't sort of, you know, overstate that because you know that that's what she's synonymous for, and you know, certainly the rivalry. It really wasn't a rivalry with Serena, but it was in the sense that there was. You know, this drama surrounding it always. It was always, you know, a little bit of bad blood, you felt like. And, you know, for, you know, on Serena's side, what I saw is that that was a player she never wanted to lose to. And you just, that was probably the only player I could really say that about Serena. Um, and, and for some reason, it just made for good TV. Whenever they had to come up against each other, even though the matchups were often one-sided after, you know, that Wimbledon win after that year, the Subsequent matchups were often one-sided, and Sharapova never beat Serena again um, after that year. And so, you know, it was a strange sort of rivalry that we kind of looked forward to that was a non-rivalry um, at the end of the day. That may be another sort of knock on her in, in terms of, of her abilities and in terms of, you know, her game. But regardless of the, the uh, head-to-head, 
every time Sherpa walked out onto the court against Serena, against anybody, but against Serena, you knew she was going to give it her all. She was going to give 100%. And if there was any chance or opportunity, she would take it. Just never got any good chances against Serena. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. No, in a way, it's almost like it made Serena this better player. It focused her uh, efforts and, and propelled her to greater heights. But you hit the nail on the head. Maria Sharapova's mental toughness. We're currently looking for some mental toughness and some consistency on the women's game in 2020. Maria had it in spades, and that's what I'll remember as well. Here on the TC Live podcast with Chandra Rubin, uh, in, an, in an interesting segue now, we look at someone that looked up to Maria, another Russian player that came over to America at a young age, Sophia Kennan who won the Australian Open, her first major title ever at 21 years of age, and has been plagued by some inconsistency since winning that major. Here now on Tennis Channel Live Channel, along with Brett Haber and Paul Anacone, break down Sophia Kenyon's struggles post-Melbourne. She drops to one and three since winning that Australian Open, and it's a storyline that we've seen Kind of a bunch over the last decade in women's tennis. Young player wins first Grand Slam title and then struggles for a period of time to adjust to, to use your expression, the new landscape. Is that all this is before anybody gets too concerned about Sophia Kennan? Well, look, I think that, you know, in the last few years in the women's game, we've seen a lot of new winners, right? We see a lot of new faces, and I think everyone's kind of jockeying for position. There hasn't been a dominant force, so I think we're going to continue to see that. So Sophia Kennan is a new superstar, um, now a brand new major title winner at a very young age. So, yeah, it's going to take some time, but you know what? She also has a lot of room for improvement. You don't really say that after winning a major, but I think she does, but that's a testimony to how good she is mentally, but I think she'll be just fine. Don't yeah. freak out, right? No, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's tough. You win that first major, somewhat unexpected. I mean, she was a lower seed, you know, sort of came out of nowhere in terms of being a first-time winner. And, you know, you think about the intensity. I mean, she is... As Paul said, I mean, she is a tremendous competitor, but it takes intensity, point in and point out, match in and match out, week to week. And I think that's where she's kind of settling in, kind of figuring out what that's going to take, how that feels. She does need to continue to improve areas of her game. She got outserved today by Yastrzemska, who hits the ball big and can dictate and control play. So part of it, I think, has been a matchup issue as well. She lost to Rubakina last week, Kennan did, who has been on a tremendous run. So, you know, it's a combination of things, but certainly no reason for Kennan to panic, and she's got a lot more upside than anything else. By the way, this week last year, Kennan played Acapulco and made the final, and so her ranking will take a little bit of a hit. All right, interesting to note, Chanda, as we come off that segment, four career titles, three last year for Kennan, and uh, winning Australian Open as an unknown on the national stage to do what she did, it's going to be hard for anybody to follow that up and get back into a rhythm after that life-changing moment, especially that first major are you a little worried with what Kennan's done so far? Or do you think it'll come back and, and she'll find her rhythm with time? I can't say that I'm worried. I think that would be much too too strong of a word, only because, you know, you, you dream of winning a Grand Slam. You dream of winning a major. And, you know, she accomplished, you know, this elusive uh, feat for a lot of players. And, you know, so it's all positive from that perspective for me. Now, with that being said, it's tough 
to sort of reset, especially early in the year. I mean, this is January that, you know, she won the Australian Open unexpected. Um, you know, she was seated, but a lower C. Uh, she wasn't on really anybody's radar to win the title. You know, she had been progressively playing better. You know, you mentioned last year, the fantastic year she had. I mean, she was a player on the rise, and she had this incredible ability to compete and just dig in, point in and point out, reminiscent a bit of a Sharapova. Yeah. Um, you know, but you didn't expect her to win the Australian Open. Uh, so it requires a hard reset when, you know, you accomplish such a big goal at the beginning of the year, unexpected, and then you've got to kind of figure out, okay, how do I, you know, how do I approach the rest of the year? How do I approach my tennis? How do I keep improving? Now, you know, there's a, a target on your back because everybody's kind of looking at you as a player to beat. And, you know, just all of the attention, all of the, you know, noise that starts to kind of surround you that you have to get used to, you have to put in a certain place. And so there's a lot that, that she has to do that she has to kind of figure out in the midst of trying to continue playing the tennis and trying to improve. So I think in some ways it's perfectly normal, um, you know, to see her struggling a little bit here. Um, but that's going to be the challenge for her is sort of how to reset and how to keep improving her game. She doesn't have any big weapons, Kenan. She just competes well, point in and point out. That becomes more difficult, though, to, to win and close out matches when you're against players who do have weapons. So she's got to keep improving her game, but I think it's still all upside for her. Right. When the hunter becomes the hunted, it gets different, and, and obviously the dynamic changes. Two big reasons I'm not worried, in addition to what you said, Chanda, is the fact that the losses aren't bad losses. Jastrzemska's a good player. Rybakina has been having a good year. Ostapenko, too, in the Fed Cup is crafty enough to, to beat, and she's won a major as well, to beat a lot of top players. And also, this isn't, as we know, this isn't a new thing on the WTA Tour. She's not alone in having troubles with consistency. We've seen top players, multiple major winners even, uh, Naomi Osaka comes to mind, who've struggled with consistency. So, not worried. She's had success in the clay, and well, we're getting to the sunshine double, but then in the clay court season, she beat Serena there last year. So, this is someone that plays well on all surfaces. I think she just stays the course. She'll be fine. I mean, there's still tough losses Tenon, but but not terrible losses. These are young players who have been making moves in their own right, and you know certainly you know that's part of her sort of uh, figuring out and, and settling into this new space that, that she's in. But she's going to come up against some other young players that are you know like she's been and are looking to make moves as well. So it's a constant struggle, and it's just part of the game. Absolutely. We're going to uh, keep it going here on the TC Live podcast with Chanda Rubin talking about two players going in opposite directions right now, uh, Gail Monfils and Francis Tiafo. A lot of interesting movements there. Monfils is 13-3 and three now on the year. Tiafo struggling to find his rhythm going forward. A little reoccurring segment on the TC Live podcast about rankings and player trends this year. Paul Anico and Chanda Rubin and Brett Haber now on the TC Live podcast. So he's 14 and two on the year, guys. And I'm obliged to ask the question that uh, we've asked a couple of times over the last few years when Monfils has gotten hot. Is this a foreshadowing of an extended period of focus and professionalism for Monfils? Or, Paul, do you expect him to revert to the mean? Well, one of the things I heard him talk about, which I thought was really interesting, he said, you know, 
It's not that I'm playing great. It's, I'm, I'm not playing well, and I'm finding ways to win some of these matches. And, and for me, that's kind of one of the um, ways that great players continue to be successful is they play average and they win, and then they don't let their confidence seep away if they don't play great because they're winning. And so maybe this is a stage guy else getting to a little later in his career because he's such a terrific athlete. We know what he, what he can do with his counterpunching skills. We know what he can do when he's into it. But now if he accepts his average days, he's going to be even better. Yeah, I think all of that goes to, you know, how well do you play consistently? And that's what we've kind of been waiting to see in Gaia Monfils. We know he's a shot maker. He's such a talent. He's so much fun to watch. But can he consistently bring that tennis day in and day out? It's incredibly tough to play great tennis two weeks, three weeks straight. But when you can kind of find it when you're using your B and your C game, as he's doing now, he's going to be very dangerous if he can keep this up. I, I want to believe. Yeah. Well, a, a lot I of fans, do, want, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. because it's fun to Why believe not? in Monfils. <laughs> Two titles back-to-back -back give him 10 in his career. Here's a number concerning uh, Foe that uh, you may not know. It's 82. That's Foe's ranking as of today, and it, it presents an interesting dilemma. How are you going to plan the rest of your year if you're Francis? Do you go down, Paul, and play some challengers, try to get the confidence back, or do you try to play qualities and get in where you fit in? I think he'll get a few wild cards, and he should drop down a little bit. What I'm more concerned about is that's 12 or 13 matches in a row where he's lost the last set, the deciding set, either three out of five or two out of three. So to me, it's a lack of confidence right now. Play a little bit of lower level, get the match count up, but he's good enough, as you can see, against Stan Wawrinka, he's a couple points from winning anyway. So he's not far off, needs one or two matches like that. Yeah, I think, you know, the tough part is when that ranking drops and, you know, in some of the bigger tournaments, you start having tough first rounds. And a match like that where he was so close to winning, Francis, you know, and he comes up a little bit short and it just doesn't help. It becomes a little bit of a snowball effect and you aren't able to get that confidence back. So I think it would help him to get some matches if he has to at the lower levels. But he's also got to work on sort of how he plays down the stretch. I mean, that's the concern in the third sets, you know, either losing those th third sets a little bit one-sided or the tie break being so one-sided after a competitive match that's where he's got to turn things around play a little more high percentage tennis in those big moments and bear in mind he also made quarterfinals last year in miami so if those points come off and he doesn't defend could be outside the top 100 another interesting development as we look at the ups and downs of some players on tour the the hard truth that it is that there's it's not easy to find consistency on tour starting with Monfils, 13 and 3 on the year it's interesting, Chanda, because we started, you know, I planned this segment out. Monfils only has two, only has lost to two players on tour, team and and uh, Djokovic. That's now Djokovic twice. He's 0-17 now in his career. Today's match this morning was just brutal. Everybody in Dubai, it seemed like, was pulling for him. He had match points on his serve, couldn't get it done. Going to be a tough one to overcome, but regardless of that outcome, he still had quite a year, two titles so far, and now number nine in the world. It's, it's really been fun to watch Morphe's get to a level of consistency here at the beginning of the year. Last year, you know, we saw signs of it where he was playing some fantastic tennis early in the year, um, had some injuries, and that, you know, caused him to kind of have to reset, restart um, a couple of times. Uh, but this year, hopefully he can stay healthy and he can continue with this form. He's one of the most talented players out there. He's got solid game, not a lot of weaknesses. He's got incredible speed, his shot-making ability. I mean, he does so many things well. And we talked about it before this match that Djokovic, they have similar games. Djokovic just does everything a little bit better. But certainly 
you know, you look at that intangibles that Monfils has with his athleticism and the incredible, you know, speed and court coverage. You know, and it's not surprising that he was able to get match points against Djokovic. One of the toughest things when you have such a one-sided head-to-head, never beaten a player in your career, mentally getting past that hump, that becomes the toughest thing. And in the match, you just you can never kind of relax and say, okay, that player's got it. Um, and especially when you have Djokovic on the other side who has not lost yet he's, this year. He's you know, one of the most confident players out there. They those players, those top players, those great players, they're just able to pull from something that the other players, the regular players just don't have. And, you know, for Monfils, he's got to take a lot of positives from this match. Incredibly disappointing that he couldn't get it. And this could be a little bit of a setback for him in his matchup against Djokovic in the history. But hopefully he can use this positively and say, look, I'm, this is, closest I've gotten in terms of, you know, being right there, having the match on my racket. This is the type of tennis I'm playing, and hopefully he can continue to build on it because he, in his own right, is an incredible talent. Yeah, he's had those two title wins this year, went back-to-back the last two years in Rotterdam, and is serving and playing at a more consistent level than we've ever seen him. I know he's 33 years of, of age, but it doesn't seem like he's slowing down, and this is as close as he's gotten to Djokovic. Now, we'll see if he can use this to propel himself to get over the hump or if this is going to be kind of a mental block in his head, but another great start to the year for Gael Monfils. Uh, Francis Tiafo uh, is down to 82nd right now in the world, I believe, and has had a pretty rough go since making that Australian Open quarterfinals run last year, the Miami quarterfinal run last year. It's been tough for him to get back on track. Now I will say that we're starting to see some signs of him playing better. He takes Stan Marinka, a former made multiple major champion, to a third set tiebreak in Acapulco. He's playing more competitively. Gave Medvedev a match in Australia. Chanda, do you think these are good building blocks for Francis going forward as he tries to get back into the top thirty, top forty, and get some of these uh, match reps under his belt? I think Francis Tiafoe has to use every bit of positive that he can from these matches, from how well he played for periods of time, for stretches in the matches. The match against Medvedev, you mentioned, as well as you know, this uh, match this week against Marenka. Um, you know, I, I think for for Francis, you know, the concern is that he continues to build. He continues to improve. He's another player who has you know, tremendous athleticism, the speed, his ability to come up with crazy, ridiculous shots at times. I mean, it's just a fun brand of tennis to watch. You know, but he's also got to understand the basics and keep working on how to play in some of those big moments where the best players, if you aren't disciplined enough, you're going to always lose, you know, those matches. You're always going to be down in those situations. And I think that's kind of the place where uh, Francis Tiafu is. And, and there's positives to it, but it's also a tremendous amount of work that he still needs to do. And it makes it harder when his ranking continues to drop. Uh, he's dropped down and had to play some challenger events and, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily help your confidence if you're not, you know, getting to the finals or winning those events, you know, that can kind of work against you. So, you know, he's in a real kind of critical moment here this year. Uh, he's got a few points that he'll have to defend coming up. Miami, um, you know, he had a couple of good wins last year. Um, so, you know, he may start feeling a little pressure from that. Hopefully he can keep focusing Francis on, what he needs to do and work on in his game because that's where the growth is going to come. 
had some success that quarterfinal at the Australian Open last year. You know, he, he has the experience of, you know, getting to that stage at a big event. He's beat some incredible players. So he has to draw from that. He has to draw from, you know, that reservoir, reservoir and you know, keep building on the fundamentals of his game. That's going to be the challenge going forward. Remains to be seen. Uh, there was a great match played between him and Stan. Hopefully he builds off of it. He's going to maybe need some, you know, some wild cards into some events, maybe play some qualifying, some challengers. But if he builds up, we can, we've seen him play at a high level. And as you said, very fun brand of tennis to watch. We're all looking forward to getting, seeing him, seeing Francis Tiafo get back to that high level. Here on the TC Live podcast with Chanda Rubin, we now move on to the final topic discussed in this week's show. And that's Venus Williams. She sat down with Prakash Armitage before her match, her first match in Acapulco, uh, where she unfortunately was defeated. She talks about uh, what it's like, uh, some lighter moments off the court, and then TC will have a good discussion with Chanda, Brett Haber, and Paul Anacone about what to expect from Venus going forward. Here it is now on the TC Live podcast. You love tennis so much. How do you make sure that stays at the level you've had it for so many years? Um, it's real easy because as soon as you miss one shot, it's frustrating and upsetting. I mean, you play the game, you're just moments away from like missing a shot in, in the tennis, moments away from like losing that momentum and the game changes. So it's so easy to keep that focus. And honestly, when your job is to just be fit and stay hot, like, why not? So my job is to, you know, keep the abs and keep the you know arms going and so looking 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 tight look, know, look, it's, look it's looking tight it's looking tight i've asked like numerous times on no we'll get that gym session and we'll get that we'll get that too late i don't want it anymore <laughs> i've moved on and lastly i do want to ask i don't know where he is right now but you have a yeah you got harry running around is he is he enjoying acapulco yeah he is he i don't think he knows where he is but I think he joined his hand though. Yeah, he's like a little Cuban guy. So he speaks Spanish. I think he feels really comfortable here. It's finally his native language. Yeah. Okay, and the last thing I will say is Taco Tuesday is a big event at the Williams, at the household. Williams house. Have we tried some tacos this week? You know, I go from house to house eating. So my mom cooks, <laughs> my dad has even offered to cook. He's cooked for me. <laughs> Serena cooks, oh, nice. Isha cooks, Lynn cooks every time I'm there. She gives me a key to her house. So it's like I just go from house to house eating tacos, basically, and I'm spoiled. All right, well, I hope you enjoy the tacos this week, and I hope you have a huge title run. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you. Uh, they go all the way back for Kasia and Venus. And if you're going to indulge in Taco Tuesday, Acapulco would seem to be the place to do it. But the thing that strikes me watching her there is as she gets set to turn 40 this summer, she looks like she's still having a good time at all this. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the key for Venus Williams. I mean, she wouldn't be out there still playing if she didn't enjoy it, if she wasn't still motivated. We heard her talk a little bit about that, you know, aspects of training and still enjoying that part of it as well. And, of course, she mentioned staying hot. I mean, look, I wanted. Do, do you think that's you what she what? meant by that? I think that's what she meant, absolutely. Or she was maybe kind of giving a little dig to Prakash, who's – pretty hot, you know, in the gym, right? I am feeling uncomfortable <laughs> with the entire nature of this conversation, Paul. Venus started it. Uh, she did. That's a good point. I'll get back to the tennis. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, the thing that uh, Venus said that rung true with me, especially was what she talked about happiness. You know, you could see the smile on her face talking to Prakash, and for her to do it this long, I remember all the conversations with Roger, too. Like, why does he even still want to do mm -hmm. this at 38 mm -hmm. or 39? He really enjoys it, and Venus really enjoys it. She enjoys the tennis. She enjoys... Uh, the travel. She enjoys the hotness. <laughs> and uh, no, you can still see it in her face. She loves to play the game. So it's great to see her out here. 
All right, so Venus will turn 40 this year. She's the the old guard on the tour. She's lost uh, both of her matches this year, both to in the first round of that match to Keja Juvan in uh, Acapulco, lost to Coco Golf in Australia. And Chanda, this is uh, definitely the back nine of Venus's uh, storied and legendary career. But as is, as is the case, we've heard the phrase time and time again, father time is undefeated. What are you expecting from Venus this year and, and potentially beyond as she enters the twilight stages of her career? You know, Venus is, is an interesting uh, case because I, I would not have expected her to still be playing and playing at this level at this stage. And it's been incredible. Uh, just her motivation, her love of the game, which you can see uh, within a lot of these matches, why she's still playing, why she's still you know, taking on the challenge of these younger players coming up uh, and trying to you know, get a notch on their belt by beating her. It's not a, an easy place to be in. I think for Venus, the physical aspects may start to come into play a little bit more in the match she just lost. You know, she was up, she had match points, and it just looked like she kind of ran out of gas once she wasn't able to close the match out. And that's what I've noticed uh, in some of the matches and some of the losses that Venus has had. It looked to me like she's kind of run out of gas. You know, I'm not sure what the answer will be for her to kind of maintain the level that she's at, whether that's, you know, additional ways, different ways of training at this stage uh, of her career, this stage of her life or whether it's, you know, being a little more strategic about when she's playing, how she's playing. I mean, it's, it's incredibly challenging, but it's also I mean, it's phenomenal that she's still out here and playing at that level where, you know, she's got chances and is right there in terms of beating players 20 years younger than her and beyond. Uh, so I hope she can kind of get that part together and really finish on her own terms, you know, whenever that may be. Uh, but I certainly think we're we're you know lucky to still be seeing Venus out there, and we have to value each of those moments because I mean just like Sharapova, it could end. She could decide this year that you know mm-hmm. I'm I'm good, enough's enough, and I'm going to move on to other things. And, and so you know it's just been incredible, incredibly valuable to keep seeing Venus Williams out here with uh, and, and giving these younger players a chance to play against an all-time great. And she clearly loves the game. You see it in, in the way she approaches it, the way she also approaches the media and, and her practice sessions. Uh, and we mentioned Sharapova earlier. I mean, third all-time in prize money. Serena and Venus are one, too. So Venus's career has been transcendent, winning multiple majors and, and keeping it going. And, and oddly enough, Chanda, always is kind of a wild card, of a, kind of a threat to make a run at a tournament. We saw that twice last year, Indian Wells and Cincinnati, where she made the quarterfinals. So... I know she's going to hit that milestone age year this year, but not exactly, you know, dead and buried. She can definitely get on a run, get the crowd behind her, and and make some noise at some of these tournaments. So I do agree with you that I think we should appreciate what we have left. We're not not sure anymore, and it's not just Venus. We have Serena, you know, Federer on the men's side. Some of these all-time greats, these legends, I mean, they're they're not going to play forever. That's the sad reality of this. We've been lucky to have them playing and, and in the game for so long and playing at you know such a high level for so long to be fairly healthy as long as they've been as well. I mean, it, it's been a, a, really a golden age in terms of you know playing the game, being a fan of the game, uh, and, and you know just appreciating the sport to continue to be able to see these players out here for, for so many years. And you just hope, like you know, for any player, you just hope 
they can kind of go out more on the terms that they choose. I mean, that's a tough thing for any player um, because something's going to kind of be the catalyst, whether it's be more injuries over the course of, of the years or whether it's just where you are mentally, your motivation. There's a number of things that go into play uh, when a player decides to retire. But hopefully, for these all-time greats, they can kind of go out more on their own terms. We all hope to see it, uh, and selfishly, we want to see him play as much tennis as possible, but we know that day will come when uh, no more tennis is in the future for all these players. But Venus Williams still still hanging in there. Hope to see what she does uh, on the United States soil with Indy Wells and Miami coming up. Chandra Rubin on the TC Live podcast. Before we go, we'll look ahead to the weekend, as we do on this show, with some interesting matchups, have some finals set already in certain ones, semifinals and others. Uh, we'll start with the final set uh, on the other side of the world. Doha and Dubai, the women and the men are, are ready for some epic final matchups. We saw Kvitova beat Barty in a three-set match in the first semi in, in Doha this morning, and that was just an epic match between those two. Kvitova, who won that tournament in 2018, didn't play last year, is hoping to win it again. She'll take on Sabalenka, who, who handled business against Kuznetsova. Sabalenka, one of the more inconsistent players on tour, Chanda. That's a theme, but has the power in the game to go shot for shot with Kvitova, which many players can't say. I'm really looking forward to this match. These two are going to be thumping it out there, and uh, it could be a long could be a long night over in Doha. Yeah, Sabalenka is, is one of those players that just keeps going for her shots. She you know, has her game plan. She has her style, and you don't often see her second-guessing it. You know, she maintains a level of confidence in her shot-making ability, and that's part of what makes her so dangerous. On the other side, Kvitova certainly is in that category as well. She's one of the cleanest strikers of the ball. And, you know, she's gained a level of confidence, particularly in beating, you know, Ash Barty, who she lost to last month in Australia, beating Ash Barty in in a tough uh, three-set match the way she did. She's at a different level of confidence. You know, she's such a great story. And not only is she a fantastic player, but she just has this aura, this, you know, this love. Of, of being back out there, appreciating the game, appreciating her tennis. And that comes through even when she's in tough competitive situations within matches. And I think that's a real strength for Kvitova along with her game. So that should be a good match. I've also been impressed with how Kvitova has taken care of different styles of opponents. She hasn't just played, had to play one way. She's had mm-hmm. to make adjustments during some of the matches that, you know, she, she got through to get to the final. And so I think that also should help her against Sabalenka just feel a different level of confidence. So that should be a good match. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, Kvitova 2-1 and one head-to-head against Sabalenka, but anything could happen in this one. I'm looking forward to some pretty big matchups uh, down the road for Kvitova. The story is great, but also the fact that she not only came back to the sport, played at a high level, but has consistently been playing at this high level for a few years now. It's been very fun to see. On the men's side in Dubai, it's going to be Sitsipas and Djokovic. A nice little uh, a nice little run for Sitsipas, who, who had, was tested early, uh, went three sets, got, got going, Handle Dan Evans this morning, as we mentioned. Him and Joker are two and two against each other. They've traded a lot of matchups recently. Can Sitsipas be consistent enough against probably the most consistent player we've ever seen in Novak Djokovic? These two are going to get after it. I can't wait for that one, personally. Yeah, that should be a fun one. And, you know, we are we've been seeing Sitsipas 
kind of find his form more and more. You know, he's had such incredible, incredible years. Last year, um, you know, the way he started and, and uh, you know, how he played the middle portion. And, you know, we've been expecting a lot from C.C. So if he's just a little bit off of that, as he's been this year, it's like, oh, he's not having a great year. It's bad start. But he's actually been playing pretty good tennis still. And, Again, we talk about the, the normal sort of ebbs and flows uh, for a player within the course of the year, within the course of, you know, the, the, their careers year after year. And, you know, Sitsipas, he's finding that sort of space where he can settle into his game and kind of figure out the adjustments he needs to make, you know, from month to month, week to week. And I think that's been fun to see and, and fun to watch in his game. And he's one of those young players that is also very confident. He plays uh, a fun brand of tennis as well because you can see him pushing himself to play in different areas of the court. He, he can come in, he can play in the midcourt area, he can volley, and he's got an explosive style. And I think that's going to help him in this matchup against Djokovic, who, as you said, is playing such clean, consistent tennis. And it's tough to hit through Djokovic. So I think Tsitsipas is going to have to use those different areas. He's going to have to come in. He's going to have to do some unexpected things at times. Just try to keep Djokovic a little off balance whenever he can. It's going to be a real challenge, but because of the, the style of these two players, I think it will be a very interesting matchup. Sitsipas believes he can win. He's done it before, and he's going to go into that with that mindset that I'm going to get this done. Easier said than done, obviously, and if there's one player that I would trust to come back after a grueling, long, you know, emotionally draining match, it's Novak Djokovic. So uh, Djokovic in Dubai, tough to beat. We'll see if Sitsipas can put together a full match and beat him in the final there. On the men's side in Acapulco, we're still at the semifinal stage. Nadal takes on Dimitrov in one half, and then it's an All-American affair between Taylor Fritz and John Isner. Nadal's 12-1 and against Dimitrov and playing at his otherworldly level. It would be a shocker for a lot of us if Nadal won, if Nadal lost that match. On the other side, I do think it's interesting that Isner has acknowledged, Chanda, that he's the old guard on the men's side, and we're starting to see some young faces pop up. Isner just beat Tommy Paul. Taylor Fritz is playing pretty well, looking for this 500-level trophy. That could be a very intriguing matchup in Acapulco. It definitely could be. I think it's always interesting when uh, players from the same country play each other. There's always just a little different dynamic that goes into play. And, of course, Fritz and Isner, they know each other's games. They've you know played before. Um, and I think for Fritz, he's showing a level of confidence, a level of belief in some of these matches where, you know, these matches could get a little tricky and he's making them look more routine than they really are, you know, coming through uh, the way he has against Umber, against Edmund in the last round. And so Fritz is, is dangerous. And, you know, he's understanding how to play his game in big moments. That's what he's going to need to do against Isner, who, you know, we know the weapons that Isner has. We know the big serve, how, you know, he can win a point with one swing of the racket. Uh, we expect to maybe have a tiebreaker or two in this match. I'd but say. Isner, yeah, he's been impressive, though. A couple of big moments where he came through against Paul. You know, a lot of players could have gotten tight. I mean, this is a match Isner was expected to win against another younger American. And he just got down. He stayed in the moment, and he played the type of tennis he needed to play. That's not easy to do when a lot of other thoughts can start coming into play uh, when you're in the heat of, of battle. So I've been impressed with the poise of, of Isner, how he's gotten a bit more aggressive when he's needed to be, and that's going to help him in this matchup against Fritz. 
It will. Will the old guard stay on top, or, or will Fritz break through and, and be some new blood on the American side? But would you be shocked, like I would, if anybody but Nadal wins this tournament? Yeah, I would be shocked. You know, I think, you know, Nadal, of course, is always the favorite going into any, a tournament event like this, particularly in the later rounds when he's gotten a chance to work his way into the tournament and where he's just, he's got so, so much of a body of work getting through matches like, like the ones that are coming up. Um, but stranger things have happened. You know, we've certainly seen Nadal falter a couple of times on serve. Uh, that's been a little surprising where he's lost serve and not been able to just close it out as smoothly um, at the end of sets. So, you know, perhaps that could come into play and give a little bit of an opening to Dimitrov uh, in this semifinal match. And Dimitrov has been, been playing, you know, really confident tennis, you know, on his side of the court. Struggled a little bit a couple of rounds ago to close out Adrian Manorino, uh, Manorino Dimitrov did. But once he got through that match, it's like he got another level of, of confidence and just settled into his game. And against Dan Lavrinka, you know, he made it look fairly routine. That match could have gotten very tricky. Uh, he was able to close it out in, in straight sets. And he was just able to dictate tempo uh, against Vavrinka. He used his slice beautifully, uh, Dimitrov did, trying to open up the court. He came in uh, at some crucial moments uh, when he needed to. And the movement of Dimitrov, he looks so crisp. Uh, he's instinctive from the ground, and that should help him against Nadal. It's going to be a tall order, certainly, trying to take down Nadal here. But Dimitrov is maybe playing you know, some, some of the best tennis that would give him a good chance. Can't wait to see the match. If Dimitrov's there mentally, he has the weapons. We, we've discussed that before. But tough to bet against Rafa in any setting when he's locked in and he wants it and he competes hard on every point. Chanda Rubin, this was a blast. Thanks for coming on the TC Live podcast. One last shout-out, though. I want to mention it because we teased that there's tennis being played all over the world. Is uh, Christian Garin going for uh, three clay court titles in February that most people might not know about, but we do because we cover tennis all the time. <laughs> it's been phenomenal the start to the year that Christian Doreen has had and you know what a moment for him playing in his home country and having an opportunity you know of course you can imagine how much it would mean to him if he could lift the trophy um, at this event but he's still got a good bit of, of work to do but I was impressed with the way he got through you know his last match where you could tell maybe started to get a little nervous at times, maybe started to think about, you know, the moment. That is, is what every player tries to kind of guard against. And he is just working through these tough spots. He's growing in his game. He's growing in his, his mental fortitude. And he's going to be a very dangerous player and certainly he's a fun player to watch. And he's going to have a lot of the crowd behind him. So hopefully he can continue to play the kind of tennis he's been playing uh, to start this year. And definitely a threat at the upcoming Roland Garros to do some damage, given his his awareness and his prowess on the clay. Chanda Rubin, you can catch her on Tennis Channel Live tonight. Definitely thank you for coming on and taking some time to talk tennis on the TC Live podcast. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. A reminder, you can catch every episode of the Tennis Channel Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. We'll be producing and dropping a new show every week, every Friday. For Chanda Rubin, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. We'll see you next week.